it's that time again. Welcome back to another episode of Keeping Wanderlust. The podcast where we go to cool and interesting places, do zero research, and then come back and talk about it. And when we run out of stuff to say, we just make the shit up. We did some research. <laughs> <laughs> don't discredit us too much. No, well, you, you don't make any shit up. When I run out of stuff to say, I just make it up. <laughs> but I think most of our audience knows when I'm when I'm pulling their leg, which is okay. So we'll chalk it up to entertainment and humor. <laughs> Unlike other national parks podcasts, right, we actually pepper in some comedy in the middle instead of just a slew of facts. What we think is comedy. Well, I find myself hilarious, and my <laughs> seven personalities think I'm hilarious too. What national park are we talking about? We are talking about the terrified forest yes <laughs> this is my favorite joke the petrified forest national park located in arizona which i think it's funny that we are talking about it because we had no intentions of going there three days ago we didn't no we had zero intentions of going there it oh, wasn't even to me it wasn't even like well, on i our wake radar. up in the morning with <laughs> zero intentions period so everything is a surprise <laughs> So now you know how it feels. It's like, oh, wow, look, something cool that we could do. No, this it's is on the way. This is the most spontaneous national park visit we've made thus far. Right. Which one was this? was number... This is number 12 for 12 us. 12 for us. So 12 and 6 Together, months. We're yeah. We're averaging two national park visits per month. Yeah. We're going to blow that average out of the water in the next couple of weeks. Every time we visit a national park, the cost of our annual America the Beautiful Pass goes down. It's less than $10 a park at this point for us because it's $80 for the year. We're crushing it. Yeah. I'm very proud. Can we go to 80 national parks? Um, if we start traveling internationally again, maybe, but there's not 80 in the States. We could double up. We go to the same park over and over. Oh, yeah. We could totally do that. It'd be a dollar a park. Yeah. That's fair. All right. Thanks for, thanks for listening, guys. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Arizona. <laughs> um, so we just left Los Angeles after the holidays. We stayed for over a month, um, hanging out with my family and just getting, you know, organized, kind of reassessing the van and throwing away all the shit that we didn't use that we packed the first day of our trip back in August. Right. All that stuff that we packed that we never used, we finally got rid of. And it gave me an opportunity to go on an Amazon shopping spree, which I'm very excited about. And we just hit the road three, I think three days ago at this point. Yeah, I think this is the fourth night of our trip. Yeah. Which isn't really a trip anymore. Now this is just. Right. This is just life. Life. Yeah. So we hit the road on a Saturday and our goal in the next month and a half is to make it from Los Angeles to northern Florida. We are generally traveling across the country, taking a southern route. Um, ish. Ish. Really? We have a lot of friends there, too. I mean, like after the pandemic, I feel like hit or when first lockdown hit in New York, everyone just sort of made a mass exodus for warmer climates. And, and we're looking for warmer climates, too. So we're really excited to be in beach weather. But also we're just so excited to be back on the road. And this time it feels more full time than ever before. Yeah, the first first go was practice. It was getting our sea legs underneath us. 
So anyway, so we left, and I was super impressed. The first leg of the trip, we were thinking about breaking up, but we went from L.A. to Flagstaff, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In one shot. It was like a seven, eight-hour drive. We weren't thinking about, like, breaking up as a couple. We were thinking about breaking the trip up messaging is key yes breaking <laughs> all you of those said words that? Yeah. my eyebrows went sky high and like, you didn't we know were? you didn't know <laughs> we were on the brink i wasn't were you <laughs> no breaking up the the trip from la to arizona or to yeah flagstaff into two days instead of because we don't i mean if we do more than three hours of driving in a single day getting to whatever the next plot on the map is it's a lot yeah. Um, so this was one of the few times I think we've done an extended trip or an extended drive in a single day where we're driving the van. It's the furthest we've driven in one day. It was It was about eight hours. Well, didn't we drive from Spokane to... We drove from Seattle, Seattle. to... West. To somewhere in Minnesota, uh, not Minnesota, Montana. Um, Wasn't it West Montana? Didn't we get it all the way to... No. No, we stopped, we stopped somewhere. somewhere in Montana, but not important. It was about yeah. seven hours, and that's the closest we've come. So this was by far the this longest. Is number two, the second time we've done that. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. And you crushed it. You drove the whole way. Yeah. I offered. I'm like, you want me? You're like, no, I got it. It's funny. When like three, four o'clock p.m. hits, I get really tired, and that's when I'm at my peak misery moment. And then the sun goes down, and it's almost like I get rejuvenated again for whatever reason. When the sun goes down, I get a little bit more energy. Second wind. A bit of a second wind, and I can keep going, and I, I made it. I was fine. I could have kept going a little bit further, but I was excited to hit the final destination. So we landed at Flagstaff because our first stop. our van flies. We were planning on our first stop being Sedona, which is ironically where we are now. And Flagstaff was on the way to Sedona, but there there aren't many. It's January as we're recording this. There aren't many campsites that are open and available at the moment. So we decided to stay overnight in Flagstaff, a little closer to Los Angeles, and had plenty of camping options. And we ended up staying at a KOA there, um, which is really comfortable. So... We got there, and on our way there, you started doing research about Flagstaff, and you made this, like, blasé comment that basically insinuated there's so many places nearby Within, Flagstaff. like, a 90-minute drive. Yeah. You can get to the Grand Canyon. You can get to the Petrified Natural For- National Forest and Sedona. Like, are all within an hour and a half's drive. Or third, I mean, Flagstaff to Sedona is nothing, right? That was right. like an hour. When you said it, you said, oh, you know, all these places are within an hour. You didn't say 90 minutes. There's a big difference for me, like, being the driver. And you casually were like, oh, the Petrified Forest National Park is only, you know, it's within an hour of Flagstaff. And as soon as you said that, I was In like. In a Lamborghini. Yeah. Didn't, I didn't. You didn't, didn't specify? Quali- yeah. As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, we have to go there. That's not far. Like, that's, and that's I immediately should have said <laughs> we should have rented a Lamborghini in Flagstaff <laughs> to go. Th- 60 minutes was my limit of, like, going out of the way there and back. And I immediately made the decision. I'm like, we're going to do it. Let's just go tomorrow. Yeah, so Sunday morning, we thought we were going to wake up right and early. And we didn't. <laughs> And we did not rent a Lamborghini. We drove the van out there. 
and spent the day at Petrified National Forest. And that is all I know about that national park. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. You know a little bit more. But we did all our research. Like, on the way there, we listened to a couple of podcasts about it. And we looked at our National Geographic National Parks book, read the you did. there. Yeah. Um, but it was it was the best park to do spontaneously because it is a really small park in the grand scheme of things and in comparison to all, most of the other parks that we've been to at least. And it's so easy to do everything in one day, really. I think you could hit every single point of interest and do all of the popular hikes in a full day if you wanted to. So it was really great for us just spontaneously deciding to go. Um, we planned to go on a Sunday bright and early and we ended up not getting there until noon because it's about an hour and 40 minute drive from Flagstaff and then adding in a couple stops for breakfast and gas. We just didn't get there till 12 o'clock. Because we had a couple breakfasts. <laughs> we had our first breakfast and second breakfast, like a good little hobbit. And something unique about this park is that the gates actually do open and close. Most other parks that you go to, if you don't go during their quote-unquote open hours, you can still drive in. And actually, if you go after hours, you don't have to yeah, pay Most to parks in. are open 24 hours, right? Like, you can access them at all times. But this one, so why do they close the park? They close the park and they have an actual gate because people in the past and sometimes in present day steal the petrified wood and take it out of the park it's very clear you're not supposed to take the wood so maybe this is so the reason this became i guess the focal point of the park and the reason they call it petrified forest right is probably a little misleading right because we've seen petrified trees mm -hmm. right that are still standing and it just looks like an old tree that's decaying and this was vastly different from yeah. anything we had seen before so give us sort of the backstory and throw on your, your nerd cap and give us the science behind what a petrified forest actually consists of. Okay, I wrote this down because I didn't want to No reading it. notes. Well, You're supposed to commit this shit to memory. If I not, don't have make it up. You can, <laughs> <laughs> you can share your made-up history. Um, you want to hear the story about the warlocks? No. So okay. what a, a petrified forest is. Or what a petrified log is, aside from being afraid. Can I can I try to to like not make shit up and yeah. give my version I'd be very impressed. of what I think it is or the science behind it? Right? And then you can correct me everywhere I went wrong. Okay. Okay. So the entire southern half of the park is just littered with these broken what look like gigantic logs. But if you actually go up and look at them and touch them, you'll see that there is no wood in these logs, right? These are trees that were downed millions and millions of years ago that were crystallized somehow. And so the way that works is I think it was in the Triassic era, right? Which I still don't know when that was. I'm going to say 225 million years ago. Nailing it. Right? Is the number I'm going to attach to that. Um this particular part of the southwestern desert 200 plus million years ago wasn't actually sitting at what is now probably the 35th parallel right if you're looking at the entire globe longitude and latitude so 35th parallel is the latitude which is actually an interesting little line across the country there's a lot of states that their border is the 35th parallel um 
I think North and South Carolina get cut in half right at the 35th parallel. Anyway, so the 35th parallel today in modern-day geology is where the petrified forest is in this entire you know subsection or the southern portion of the United States. 200 million years ago, right, the... Now, this is the part where it gets a little hazy as far as my understanding is, but the entire the continent did not look like it does now with North and South America and that little sliver of Central America connecting the two. It was the one big continent, Pangea, I think. You're not nodding. You're not even acknowledging that. You're I'm, crushing okay, all right, it. Thank you. I'm Just, giving you a look of confidence with my stare. That could also be the look of I had bad cheese dip, <laughs> for all I know. Um <laughs> So back then, 200 plus million years ago, before the continent started breaking up, this particular part of the world was where modern day Costa Rica is. So very close to the equator, which meant that you had basically lush jungle and forest. And then over time, as the continent split and things moved away, all of those that forest ended up dying off and the trees would... When they died, they'd fall, and at the time there were rivers running through, mm-hmm. right? They, whether they were salt water, fresh water, whatever, the river, the trees would fall into the river. The rivers would would funnel them into wherever the lowest point is, and then they would rest. And then something happened where I think it was like volcan- volcanic activity started spurring up at some point, and there were all these recently dead trees, and then all of a sudden a bunch of volcanic ash falls over them. And instead of trees slowly decaying the way they normally do when they fall, when they're exposed to the air and different organisms that feed off of the tree, they got encased within the silt and the ash and the dirt that was that was there. And they were basically preserved over an extremely long, absurd amount of time. There was still water running over these areas where there was silt and ash and dirt, and that water would seep into the dirt and get to these trees that were encased in this solid earth but in that water was all sorts of minerals like silica and iron and manganese and you name it right and that silica basically inserts itself into the wood and replaces the organic material with these minerals and all of the uplift from like the rocky mountains and the movement of tectonic plates and the forming of mountains pushed and and combine that with erosion right all the wind pushing the dirt off of these these hills and creating what is today's desert pushed all these trees to the surface they weren't buried under the dirt anymore and now after millions of years of being compressed underneath all the silt and ash and dirt and then rising to the top now we see them for what they are today which is no longer trees there's nothing in them that is organic tree at all nothing that is wood even though it looks like wood from the outside. But you look on the inside, and it's all these different colored crystals. It's like quartz or something. Mm-hmm. That's my science. So how much of that... That was 100% accurate. I'm really impressed. No, that was that was really impressive. I think it's just so fascinating. And like our, f- I, our first time together seeing a petrified piece of wood was in Yosemite, or sorry, Yellowstone. Um, there was a sign that said petrified, I don't know, tree, something... And we pulled over and I drove out of our way to find it. And we pull over, walk up the stairs, look down on this petrified tree. And it's like, eh, 
It was like a tree stump, but a large one, like very, very large, larger than honestly anything we saw in the Petrified Forest National Park. Um, but it was, it was gray, just the stump, but it was still standing upright as opposed to the Petrified Forest. Every tree has fallen and was was buried at some point and now has been uncovered. magically converted from wood into crystal. Yeah. So at, for me, there was a, a big turning point in. Like from that first time seeing the petrified wood in Yellowstone, I was so unimpressed. I, I just didn't understand it. I didn't really get what the tree had gone through and the fact that it wasn't really wood anymore. It was actually stone. And I just didn't have the appreciation for it. And then in preparing to go to this park, we did a lot of research and we... Well, if you lived 200 million years, I think you would have some appreciation for these trees. Well, I have the appreciation now, just understanding <laughs> more about it. It was just funny the way you said it. You're like, I didn't really appreciate what the tree had, had to go through. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it had a rough childhood. <laughs> it's been through a lot. I mean, it's basically, it's not, like some other material has come and taken its form and shape. Like a body snatcher. It's kind of like, I think what zombies will do to us when we turn uh, into That was pre-Triassic era. Uh, anyway. Zombies. Um... So, yeah, I, I now had an appreciation for it before going to this park. And then seeing the plethora of petrified wood throughout was really fascinating. It just more from like the science and history perspective than anything else. Um, it's definitely a unique park in the sense that like a lot of the other parks we've gone to have a very scenic overlook and like a couple things that you absolutely must do there. And this park, I felt like. It's more about appreciating. Like learned something. You yeah, know, it's I've like appreciating the history and the science behind the the purification process of the wood. And it's pure. This log <laughs> is clean. <laughs> Purify petrification. <laughs> we rub this tree down with some purel. It's nice and clean now. <laughs> Shut up. It has been sanitized. <laughs> Um, this tree has never been touched by another tree. <laughs> <laughs> it was pure on its wedding night, which hasn't happened Shut yet. <laughs> You're the worst. Want me to keep going? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yes guys. and no. <laughs> um, so the park itself is incredibly easy to visit. The park runs north-south. There's one main road that goes through at this 28 miles. But a tip that we learned right before going that I'm really glad that we did is that you don't have to, like if you're going to drive from the north to the south, you don't have to then drive back the same way you came. There's a side road that'll take you back from the southern, well, from both sides back to the main highway, which is Route 40. So you basically can go through the park and then exit a much faster way than driving back the 28 miles that you came to get there. Um, so we did that. We took from the 40, we took the scenic route down to the south entrance. Then we drove through the park to the north entrance. And then we got back on the 40, which cuts into the north entrance. So it's a much more time efficient way to travel. Yeah, I'm like Arches, right, which is not... Which I would say is a small park, mm -hmm. you know, in comparison to some of the, you know, the, the Yellowstones and the Rocky Mountains. But there's there. only one main road that goes through it, and it's 18 miles, but you have to go 18 miles out and 18 miles back. There's yeah, there's no, no exit. loop. It doesn't, yeah. yeah. You got to go all the way in, and then once you get to the end, turn around and come back. Right. 
There's only one entrance. Um, so we started in the south, and the southern part of the park is where all the petrified wood is. And then the northern part of the park is the painted desert. So it's a little bit more scenic. It's almost like two parks in one because you're, you're seeing two very different things. The painted desert is like all these badlands and little teepee-shaped rocks that are, you know, painted. De- they're painted like eight million different colors by the warlocks <laughs> from the pre-Triassic era. <laughs> if that hasn't been established, which <laughs> everyone knows. Um, so we started where all the petrified wood was and there's, I mean, like the easiest thing about the park is there's all these pullouts. There's a couple of hikes and all the hikes that are within the park are less than two miles. They're more like little nature trails. Most of them are paved, right? So it's actually by that standard, while it's not the type of park you'd go to and, you know, unless you want to do some serious backcountry hiking and that's where there might be some, we don't do backpacking at all um but for those that do i think the wilderness area out there there's nothing there are no like established or like you know trails that people follow you just walk out there and just go right wherever you want to go um which i think is a little different than like some of the the more established or bigger name parks where they're like if you're going to go backcountry hiking these are the backcountry trails Mm because they don't want you stomping all over the wilderness they're trying to preserve it so this was one of the few parks i'd seen where they're like yeah there is no there's no trails but yeah all the the hikes or the it's basically just walks right they'll they'll walk around some sort of interesting whether you know it's a big collection of petrified wood all in one spot Mm -hmm. or some sort of like historic like historically significant archaeological dig or ruins so there were for thousands of years i think going back 10 12,000 years there have always been indigenous people that either nomadically set up camp here for stretches of time or i think it was once farming started like once natives started you know planting corn that's when they would set up shop there for extended periods of time like multiple generations and so there's like old houses like pavilion houses that there's ruins of those, and there's, and what do they call it, a gatehouse, mm-hmm. which is a house built entirely of petrified wood, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting, because that would technically make it the oldest wooden house in the world. Yeah, it's true. That was the longest hike. We didn't end up going to the gatehouse, but it's like a two and a half mile hike to get there, and you can combine that with the Long Logs Trail, um, which I think is self-explanatory but has some of the petrified wood that's just the longest (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say do tell (laughs) um so we didn't do that that's that's like the only main hike we did not do um but we did do the giant logs trail that was right next to the southern entrance it's um, right behind the visitor center right behind the visitor center and it's a, a again it's like a nature trail i think the whole thing if you do um it's like a figure eight if you do the whole thing i think it's like 0.7 miles and it has its feature log which is old faithful yep (laughs) you had to look at your notes i did i forgot i just pulled that one out of my ass and it's funny because so many parks reuse the same names and old faithful is like the namesake of yellow devils this (laughs) put devils in front of anything there Our, our job is done whoever has the job of naming stuff at national parks. I want his job. Yeah, that one got me because it's so different from Old Faithful in Yellowstone. Um, 
but again, like the most famous petrified piece of wood in the park. I think the reason it got its name, because it had a bunch of different names that didn't stick for long periods of time. But then I think Albert Einstein and his wife came to the park and there's a photo of them in front of the old faithful log, the Mm -hmm. gigantic log. Um, And she made some sort of reference to it. Now I have no context. I don't remember what she said, but she said, this is like old faithful. Mm -hmm. And so that's when it stuck. I guess it got caught in the news or something with that photo. So now it's called old faithful log. Yep. Until someone new and famous stands in front of it and gives it another name. But why give it a new name when you can just borrow shit that somebody else (laughs) from another park? So we did the crystal forest trail after, um, that one was fun. It was about a mile, Again, just a loop trail. I mean, at that point, I feel like we got such an appreciation for all the different colors that were in the wood, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, that's the coolest part about it is the fact that this thing that looks exactly like a log has these hues of deep red, deep blue, black, white, like all within the same piece of what was once wood. It is crazy because it still looks like a tree. And on the outside, it has these like dark browns that were that are technically like rust color from iron and when you go and touch it you expect it to be brittle Mm -hmm. right like a tree because it really is deceiving and then when you look at the cross section every single tree looks like it was cut by a chainsaw yeah that's all you have this gigantic 40 foot log and it's broken up into sections and it looks like a perfectly clean cut and i legitimately thought after seeing so many of them that that the park rangers had come out with a chainsaw and that's a great job i want logs in half Forget the naming job. I want the chainsaw job. They're cut perpendicular to the way that the tree grows with what looks like almost straight lines. Because it's not wood and it's in fact crystal, it breaks real cleanly across whatever the many fault lines are that are inside the crystal. And I think it was all the dirt that was sitting on top of it for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. And eventually the weight on top of it would snap the log. But instead of it splintering the way you would expect wood to... It does this perfectly clean vertical crack. It's crazy. It's really fascinating to see. And and when you it's it's hard. It's hard as a rock. And it's just it's just super deceiving because the outside of it looks like a tree and then the inside is all these like crazy colors of blues and yellows and purples and and gold. I'm running out of colors. <laughs> okay. Speaking of colors, can I read or are you gonna get mad at me? No, that's that's great radio. Okay. Hey. well i'm not gonna be able to you wouldn't remember this either so one of the things that we saw in the park was it was basically an informational thing about what the colors mean and it explained that the colors are contamination so mineral impurities within the quartz give the wood its spectacular colors right so iron makes it orange and red yes right and And yellow and purple like i said and (laughs) yellow and purple and i think manganese uh, makes it like blue. It makes it black and gray. Black and gray. I'm Damn so f- I'm so impressed that you remember even the first part though. And then pure quartz is white. Well, everyone knows that. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> All right. So we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about rocks. Well, that's the whole point of the park. So if you don't care about rocks, Actually, no, you probably well, shouldn't come to this park. <laughs> no, I thought there was some interesting stuff about it. So like this, like again, it's it's two parks. In one, I, so some I guess for people that have never been that are going that are planning a trip, some quick fast facts. Because it is paved pretty much everywhere, 
if you have little kids or someone in a wheelchair, it's very accessible. And it's a dog-friendly, pet-friendly park. Dog-friendly park. They have a bark ranger program. I'm dead serious. You have... I didn't know that. Bark Ranger. Wait, so the the dogs learn, they go through a ranger program? Yeah, but it basically is an acronym for something that's like, I forget what all the letters stand for, but it's like clean up after your pet, know where he is all the time, um, keep him on a leash, something. But like the the letters of bark spell something out, and it's like the, the rules for, you know, bringing your pet into a national park, which... Most parks you can't bring pets into, or you specifically your dogs. And I think it's usually because of the wildlife Yeah, that's there. But yeah. there's just not a whole heck of a lot of wildlife in, you know, the desert here. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any. A crow? You saw a crow. Oh, yeah. There were some scary birds. But other than that, it was pretty tame. But, yeah, and then this, the top half of the park is the Painted Desert Park, which I thought was gorgeous. I mean, that that's what you think of, especially when you're thinking, like, Arizona, you know, Red Rocks and... That was cool. I thought the coolest part from a color standpoint is when we were driving away, because the park closes early, right? You want to get out of there before 5 o'clock in the winter. That's when the sun goes down. But um, So we're driving west away from the park. But what was really cool is that behind us to the east, we're looking at these this mountain pass and it's super flat until you see the mountains of this park. And it the just the it looked like someone had taken watercolors and like painted just above the mountains and there was this like blue hue it was like straight lines in like these crazy long horizontal rainbowish color changing just wild mm-hmm. very very cool sunsets yeah usually when i think of sunsets i think of the clouds above changing colors and kind of looking like fire and then getting pastel colored and since we've been in arizona all of two days three <laughs> days maybe we're seasoned um, pros every now. well every sunset we've seen here I don't think there's been a cloud in the sky, but it's been amazing because the entire sky looks like a pastel transitional painting. Yeah, it's nuts. I don't know how to describe it. And we were driving away, so we weren't exactly taking photos. And I don't think the photos would capture it anyway. It's like when you try to take a photo of the moon, right? You're like, oh, look how big the moon is. And then you look at your photo and you're like, the moon looks so freaking tiny in the photo. So tiny. Can't capture it. So you got to go there and stick around till sunset. But they do. They kick you out because they don't want you stealing the wood. And that's largely for your own safety because (laughs) the wood is cursed. So this is one of our fun facts. But a bunch of people have been taking petrified wood from the park. And the park was established as a national monument in 1906 to protect everything in the park and hopefully prevent people from taking the wood um but that didn't Did you know it was only the second national, national monument, monument ever Are you serious? Yeah. i didn't know that you know what the first one was no it was devil's tower in wyoming wow i did not know that and that's funny because that is still a national monument it has not grown up yet a lot of national monuments become national parks that's fascinating well the original so you said 1906 Yep. Yeah, so that was when the Antiquities Act passed through Congress. And the original intent of the Antiquities Act was to protect portions of the southwestern desert because a lot of people were migrating. So, so probably from the late 18, or starting in like 1849 with the gold rush and all that. But then as cars started to become a real thing, more and more people were coming through and destroying the landscape. And so it was with that Antiquities Act, what they were trying to do was preserve 
a big chunk of the southwestern desert area of the United States, and they never thought that by giving the executive branch, which is basically the president, the ability to take a bunch of public land and say, you can't develop this with the flick of a pen as opposed to it going through Congress, which takes literally an act of Congress to get through. Um, they didn't think that the president would be would go beyond that, right? But it was so loosely written that for presidents after Roosevelt, all the way up to like FDR did a ton where, you know, he created national monuments, you know, into into existence and converted them to national parks for a lot of different reasons. But because the law was so loosely written, presidents can, whenever they want, just say, yep, this is all a national monument now. Can't mm -hmm. mess with it. Second national monument ever made. And it took years, like decades before it was eventually. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't declared a national park until 1962. Right. Congress finally got off their ass. And yeah. Protected it. Um, so back to what you were saying is that so many people were taking wood. Basically, the entire park is these stones scattered throughout tons and tons. They of are it. really cool. I could see why someone would want to take them. And there's 100%. so much of it just lying around. And as a visitor, it seems so easy. Yeah, you're like, oh, what's one less piece of stone? There's so much here. But obviously, hundreds of years of people doing that, it's going to make it. Well, they dense. said something. Don't do you have numbers on it? Like 12 tons a year is stolen from the park? So many people started passing through. And this is another fun fact. Um, this is the only national park in the United States that Route 66 traveled through. So during the time where there was mass migration from Chicago or from the east to the west. It's the Great American Road Trip. It just became such a common act for people to pick up pieces of the stone. So during that time, the park really started to crack down and started publicizing the fact that tons and tons of petrified wood were being taken from the park in hopes of deterring deterring people from actually stealing and additionally super fun fact and what i think is probably the most interesting thing that we've learned about the park since going is that there's a myth or maybe it's true who knows that people who have stolen the wood have had incredibly bad luck since taking the wood. So there's this curse where people steal the wood and then immediately after start noticing things in their lives start going poorly, whether it be their relationships or their financial situation or their health. This crazy chain of events seems to correlate with people stealing the wood. So what's come since then is that a lot of people since having misfortunes after taking the wood have then mailed the wood back to the national park they're like please take this rock back and then they'd <laughs> write a letter and yep they send the wood back they write a letter and they say these are the terrible things that have happened to me since taking the wood please take the wood back this is specifically <laughs> where i got the wood in the map. park i can draw you hand draw you a map put it back exactly where i took it from yeah so that hopefully my life turns around again. Cause did, you, I can't, did you find any of these letters? I found several of them. And any they're good ones? so cute. So some of them some of them are like children. Like a five year old writes a note that's like my I mommy and rock. my mommy and daddy <laughs> Raised me to be a little klepto. <laughs> no, no, like they just found that I took this rock and are teaching me a lesson and I need to send the rock back. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Then there's people that are like, I've had 
all these things happened to me since taking the wood. Please take it back. There's people that are like, I realized my father took this years and years ago. And I, <laughs> I feel guilty for my father. And I actually, I saved one of them. Why don't you read it? Can I read it? I, I think it's so funny. Yeah, I just found it. Yeah. So it doesn't have a year on it unless it's on this little stamp that's on here. I can't read it. Anyway, it says February 13th. All right. Dear Sir, I'm writing this letter in hopes of easing my conscience and saving the most important thing of my life, my marriage. Against my better judgment, I removed three rocks, which my husband discovered hidden in my hidden in my brazier. This must be from like the 40s. Yeah. Wait, she stole rocks and hid them in her bra? Since then, I guess that's where you would hide things back. There was no <laughs> pockets in the sundresses they were wearing. Since then, being a true Christian, he has constantly told me of my wrongdoing. I'm afraid that our marriage is on the rocks. I want all of my eight pun children. In, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I want all of my eight children to see your park in the same condition that I saw it in. And now there's this weird stamp over here. Can you read that? Yeah. It says, I'm keeping one rock to remind me of the lesson I learned the hard way. I'm enclosing 20 cents for you to buy another rock to replace the one I am keeping as a token. Of my guilt. <laughs> I would appreciate it if you would buy one to replace the other very much. It would so ease my burdened conscience. Also enclosed are the other something something and then it says please forgive me and keep up the good work thank you mrs, mrs. p, p. <laughs> so this one i thought was the funniest i don't think she learned her lesson <laughs> she stole three and she's sending back two and keeping one to remind her of the lesson that she learned the hard way i couldn't get over this so this was a a unique example of what they're calling conscience letters I mean, hundreds of people. I think even today they're averaging several letters every month that people are sending in. And there's been different references in like modern culture to the curse of the petrified forest where people have stolen wood. And after every one of those references, there's like a flood of new people that keep sending this wood back. So there's thousands of people that have this wood scattered about whether <laughs> like not just the country, but the world. Like they've gotten these letters from all over the world. What they do, what the park does is they keep all these letters and unfortunately they're not able to put the wood a lot of people are like giving them maps and telling them specifically where to put the wood back and where they took it from but once the wood has been taken out of its natural habitat they won't the park rangers won't put it back where it was found because it'll like mess up their like their studies of the land basically once it's been removed it can't be put back but just so interesting i don't know the whole psychology behind it is like the guilt that these people feel and p because it's a thing now because it's been out there that there's this curse whatever misfortune you feel after taking the rock you're going to associate with the fact that you took the rock yeah so you should i mean you shouldn't be taking parts of the national park out of the park i mean i think modern day folks that come to that come to the parks and realize that this was preserved or that the land is meant to be preserved for multiple generations so don't mess with it like mm -hmm. try to do your best to leave it the way you found it so other people can enjoy it but uh, i think the rocks are cursed and it's because the warlocks were using them for target yes. practice yeah so this is before the triassic era before dragons Bef well way before dragons oh okay well, warlocks created dragons, and dragons ate the warlocks, and that's why we don't have warlocks anymore, mm. right? So they, they, again, tangent. It's not important for the purposes of this story, right? But the real true story behind where 
the petrified wood came from, right? In the time of warlocks, right, there were no witches. So there were only male witches roaming the planet, and there weren't that many of them. So the, the warlocks, now again, there were today, there's what, eight, nine billion humans roaming the planet. Back then, right, there weren't near that many. I think there were about 500 people on the planet, mm-hmm. right? And they were all warlocks, and they were all dudes, right? And because there was so much space for them to occupy and so few of them, they would largely just sit around all day doing nothing, right? There was no form of entertainment, right? But they could cast spells, right? And they could shoot, like, lightning out of their wizard stick, right? Which they didn't call a wizard stick, but it's like our modern-day wizard sticks. They had, like, an offshoot of what eventually became a shillelagh, but it was a lot bigger, right? So they would shoot lightning from their shillelaghs, and they would shoot them at these trees, right? And the trees would fall apart, and they'd turn into these stumps. And then came the warlock era which is broken up into three epics right epic one is sit around and do nothing epic two right was sit around and think which they could do now because they had stumps because they shot all these trees with their shillelagh lightning stick and so they're sitting on these stumps thinking and then eventually enough of them start wandering around and they and two warlocks eventually bump into each other now they have other people that they could interact with but again it was still the thinking error the stump error so all they would do is sit on stumps stare at each other and think all day eventually after about another 50 million years they got bored of that they said what should we do right and they were only capable of doing it they've only evolved to do a few things at this point which is shoot lightning from their shillelagh stick and sit on stumps and think right but they're like wait look at these stumps right so they took one of the stumps lifted it up off the ground, hung it on a tree, and then shot their shillelagh stick lightning as close as they could to the center of the stump. And if you look at the petrified wood and you look at the inside, you'll see that because it's got all these different colors, it creates these rings where, like, the rings of the tree used to be. Mm -hmm. And that's how we eventually came to know what, in modern day, in the common era, we refer to as darts. (laughs) Because there were no women around and we needed shit to do. That's the true story. Oh, okay. And that's why they're cursed, because you basically had a bunch of male witches casting spells on these things Mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of years ago. So now if you take them, yeah, you're taking (laughs) that cursed wood out of the park, and you will have bad luck. Are you good at darts? What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. (laughs) 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 It's like stealing dartboards. (laughs) You are stealing dartboards, and you probably could if you sh- shaved it down the right way, use it as a dartboard. But then you'd have to find a way to get a dart to stick to it. It's perfect crystal, so you'd need some special darts or a shillelagh stick that shoots lightning. I love it. Any other fun facts that you have about that? You didn't know that part, did you? Well, I do have another fun fact. Oh, hit me. Okay. Well, that you know this too, but I have a fun fact for everybody listening. So we, while we were on our journey throughout the park, we stumbled upon two park rangers. And oh, that's right. That was the highlight of the day, honestly, because they weren't interested in engaging with us at first. They were just searching for something. And we can't specifically say what part of the park we were at when we met them because that would spoil everything. It's a secret. But they were clearly looking for something, and it was kind of odd. And then they found something, and they got all excited. And then we engaged them, and we started sharing our story and asking them about theirs. 
and they shared that they had found a geocache in the park which we don't know much about geocaching but it's been on our list considering that we're wandering all over the country and it was just very apropos because i think earlier that day or the day before i was talking about i'm like babe i'm gonna whatever i think it was the drive from la uh-huh right we had it was a slow news day but eventually we got around to i think i'm gonna create a geocache account and see what this thing's all about mm-hmm. right and we just so happened within like 24 hours of that meet two people who were not just two random schmoes they were actually like park rangers or i think they were like volunteer rangers yeah. um and truly fascinating lovely women i wish i got their names because they were adorable and we were sitting there chatting with them for what a good 20 30 minutes something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. um they gave us the whole skinny on geocaching which i still haven't created the account yet but i'm gonna ultimately figure that out because it seems pretty cool people hide stuff out you know in the world and then you go and find it and if you can find it i think you get a clue and some gps coordinates but those gps coordinates could you know cover a pretty decent size you know map of the ground and you got to find this tiny little trinket and usually it's like i guess a little box or something that's buried or hidden somewhere but you don't know exactly what you're looking for it's different every time and it like you said it's a little trinket yeah and you i feel like this this one was like an altoid box or something like it wasn't but it was something like that it was something like an altoid box and inside of it was you know some little trinkets that somebody put in there i think i don't even know if we should share it no no, no. don't share it but there's also a little tiny little notepad where you sign your name if you did find it along with the date right when you found it and then i guess you go the, the rest of it we don't understand how it works because i guess you log on to your account and say i found this and i don't know you get points or something for it and bragging rights mm-hmm. when you find it um there's no like cash prizes or anything but it's a fun little treasure hunt thing and yeah. they totally basically gave us 90 percent of the information we needed to understand what this whole geocaching thing is which has been around for like decades now and i've never like met anybody or I guess talked to anybody who's been into it. So it was really informational and it was cute. They said that that was one of three geocaches in the park. Um, and again, these things are little trinkets and normally in a national park, you're not allowed to just leave trash. There's actually a whole movement of people <laughs> who, who go out of their way to collect trash and throw it away that people have left in natural places like a national park. Um, but the park participates in geocaching and I have a feeling there's other national parks that do as well. And then the park rangers actually went out and hid three geocaches in completely different locations throughout the park. Um, and these volunteers, they the volunteers even being part of the program didn't know, didn't where, know it where it was. And so they actually found the geocache yeah, while we, we were happened next to, to them. stumble upon them <laughs> while they were, you know, doing their rounds and like, I think this is where the geocache is located. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool. They swore us to secrecy, so we really can't say too much. It's probably a good thing we don't have their names in case we're already giving too much. <laughs> but some of the parks, I guess, have rangers that participate in it. And so it's kind of cool that they do that. It was really cute. Yeah. So that was a fun, like, end to our... We met them sort of at the end of the day. Um, But, yeah, it was a good way to to wrap up our visit to the Petrified Forest. And I guess just in summary, again, easy trip. You could do it in... I mean, we did it in four and a half hours, and that felt like enough. Um, But if you wanted to spend a full day, you could probably do every main hike because they're all short. You could do every stopping viewing point pop out of your car check it out and get back in um and i think two of the highlights we didn't mention 
Um, one was Newspaper Rock. It's about midway in the park, and it's a rock that has more petroglyphs than either of us have ever, ever seen, seen on one part yeah. or on one rock. And the lookout point that you're stopping at is much higher than the rock itself. You can't actually walk down to the rock, but they have binoculars, you know, those like little viewfinder things set up for you. Yeah. So they have like two taller ones and one shorter one for you to view the petroglyphs on the rock from. And it really is worth stopping and seeing. I think that was like incredibly unique considering we've seen petroglyphs in so many different parks and usually there's a couple on one rock but this was just a whole rock and that the indigenous people of this country had the foresight to recognize that (laughs) our language would eventually devolve into emojis and they just said screw it we're gonna jump straight to emojis they were so ahead of their time way ahead of their time Um, so that was one that's definitely worth seeing. And then the other one is the Blue Mesa Trail. That was a mile, I think, loop round trip. And you that was really cool. You I start at a high point and you go you immediately descend to I guess ground level and <laughs> you you ground walk level. like along these buttes that are kind of grayish blue. Um, just really pretty and you just walk amongst them and it just feels like a very intimate hike and when we were there there was like I don't know maybe three other yeah, groups nobody. the entire time that we passed um, we're also traveling in January which is off season but the weather was incredible I think typically there's averages of like 50 degrees high of a 40s. high but yeah. I think when we were on this hike it was like 60 and sunny and just amazing so I think we got really lucky with it and again it was only a mile so it was really nice peaceful they say that it looks the buttes look like the skin of an elephant they're like wrinkly caked on rock um it's like clay yeah it looks like clay actually like every time it rains i'm sure it sort of like changes the way everything looks a little bit so that was probably that was a highlight for me i like to walk and like do different hikes and stuff and this isn't a big hiking park so that was a nice break in the middle of it it was sort of right in the middle of our day too that we ended up there um but otherwise again super easy to visit like i think anyone who's taking a trip to the grand canyon most people would probably go to the southern entrance and they'd probably stay in flagstaff because the grand canyon is probably Flagstaff's probably the closest decent-sized town to the southern entrance. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go see the Grand Canyon, right, you could do a one-day sort of detour and go out to Petrified National Forest. It is really cool seeing seeing the crystal logs. And, again, we couldn't get into the museum, but there's just a lot of history that dates back. There's, you know, p- they have evidence and artifacts of, you know, life there going back something like 12,000 years. I think they have a lot of fossils from dinosaurs. There's a rainbow museum right near the Southern Visitor Center. And I think they have a lot of fossils there. Again, we didn't get to do that. Well, the trees are, I think, legitimately over 200 million years old. They're like as far as 225 million. You said it right the first time. I was really impressed because you just whipped that out. That was spot on. They're from 225 to 205 million years ago. Um, and they were, I think they were already like crystallized by the time dinosaurs walked the planet. So dinosaurs were walking around kicking these logs. Yeah, exactly. And that's another really cool thing is like we're walking by things that dinosaurs walk by. All right. What was your, your favorite part of the park? Um, I don't know. I wasn't prepared to answer that question. 
I just like how accessible it is. I mean, it's yeah. an easy park to do in a day. It didn't feel overwhelming. You know, I didn't feel like because we got there late that we, we missed, missed too much. Yeah. You know, whereas like Yellowstone, you need like a week just to hit all eight corners of it. Yeah. I don't know. It was just kind of a cool, fun way to spend the Sunday. The I mean, we had awesome weather. It was just a fun drive, you know, getting out there. Not a whole lot to see on the way out there, but, yeah. you know, it was just a fun Sunday, lazy sort of, you know, take it easy. So our next stop, and this is a correction from last week. I'm incredibly embarrassed. I told you that we were going to the Saguaro <laughs> and National Park. I straight up asked you when you, you said it. And you straight like, up are said. Are we saying that the right way? You're line? like, how do you pronounce that? How is it spelled? And I'm like, well, I think it's like, it's I phonetic. think it's pronounced phonetically, right? And it's not at all. It's definitely something like Saguaro. Like you don't pronounce the G or you do. And it's more like Saguaro which I'm going to butcher, but <laughs> I think it's, I think you got to roll it a little bit. So it's Sahuaro. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Have fun with it. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to butcher it, but I wanted to apologize for to whoever named that one, whoever the marketing guy was just also Mr. Sahuaro. for being so confident in mispronouncing <laughs> it. <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> I'm very confident in my ignorance. Thank you very much. But at least I can own it when I'm incredibly wrong. And I was. This entire podcast is an ode to us owning the stupid shit that we do. Right. If if there's one prevailing theme or common thread that's pervasive throughout every episode is that we clearly have no clue what we're doing. We're just out here winging it at every step. But we're trying and we're going to go there next. So we should have a much better understanding of how to pronounce the word <laughs> and we will report back <laughs> this will i think be the, the entire next episode you should only say it <laughs> i'll work on my rolling rolling of the r's with that hope this uh inspired you to get out there and see something cool if not hope we made you laugh if that didn't happen then don't tell your friends <laughs> <laughs> see you next time bye